this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you again today. We are in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning, picking up where we left off last week. We're going to be looking now at the third speech from Solomon to his son. So just to briefly recap, the third speech falls in, of course, a series of speeches, of ten speeches, in fact, in the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. And this is the third one, and all of these speeches are interwoven with four poems from Lady Wisdom. And there's actually two speeches contained within chapter three in one poem or one hymn, your Bible might say, to or of Lady Lady Wisdom. So we're just going to focus on the first 12 verses of Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. I'm looking forward to studying with you. And we're going to isolate just that third speech that begins with my son, as the other speeches do in the beginning of chapter 2 and in verse 8 of chapter 1. So let's just dive in here. My son, verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 3, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Well, those are the first 12 verses there in the book of Proverbs in chapter 3. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. What is the central message here? When I look at Proverbs chapter 3, I think the central message is don't forget. Don't forget and trust the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter 3 is a, a special significance to me personally uh, as a Christian. It was one of the first chapters of the Bible that I ever read. And when I was first beginning to seek God in my life, it was a particularly unstable time. I was just a boy. I was about 11 or 12 years old. I was a social outcast, and things were not going well at home. My parents were going to get divorced soon. I didn't know that, but that would lead to more tumultuous times. And even though they would later reconcile, and they're a good example of in, in that, uh, it was still a period of great loneliness. And it was at that point in my life that I discovered these blessed words in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And those words comfort me now as much as they did when I first read them. And these words are just one set of instructions out of a set of six here in these first 12 verses. And they're pretty easy to pick out uh, because they're divided into two. The first two verses and the second two verses, three and four, and then on and on, five and six, seven, seven and eight, and, and thus forth. 
So let's go back to, to the beginning. You know, each two-verse section, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, each two-verse section is calling us to act in wisdom, use wisdom, and it reveals the next part of the section, reveals the consequence for following through. So, for example, just take verses 1 and 2. So, verse 1, the call to action, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And then the consequence for length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. And that pattern continues as you read through those first 12 verses in this in this passage, in this speech. So, uh, Solomon is first calling us to remember. I think that's one of the key points in this text, to remember his teaching by keeping his commands. And as a result, then longevity and peace would come. And so, as we've seen so many times before, I think in this study, even in just a few chapters, we've only, we're only a few parts into this series here. I think this is part four or five today that we're going through. But we've already seen, please like this from Solomon to internalize internalize biblical wisdom right he'll say at the beginning of chapter 2 treasure my commandments within you in, in verse 1 and things like incline your heart also there in the very uh, end of that verse and that's a similar plea i think to what he's saying here don't don't forget you need to remember these things and god wants us to understand that forgetting inspired instruction is not merely a mental flaw but it's a moral flaw you know, you might think of James' words, if you're familiar with the New Testament book of, of James, from James chapter 1, it sounds a whole lot like Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1, right? James says, let's not be forgetful hearers of the word, but doers, because forgetful hearers are the ones who delude themselves. But if a man is a doer of the word, in this he will be blessed. And that's my paraphrase. But James is essentially saying the same thing, right? Don't be... Don't, don't be a forgetter. Don't be a forgetful hearer of the word. And Solomon is making the same point. Don't be. Don't have a selective memory, uh, because that's a moral flaw. You know, we're all forgetful, but forgetting God's commands is a moral shortcoming. You know, Peter speaks, I think, to this point also. If you want to turn with me to Second Peter for just a moment, Second Peter chapter three. So this is Second Peter three. And we see the point here, you know, that Peter is making. It's not that, again, this is a mental flaw, like we say, well, something just slipped my mind, or, you know, I wish I hadn't forgot that. But it's it's a moral kind of thing. It's it's a willful thing. And that's what Peter is saying here in Second Peter 3, in verse 5. So just to get the context, he's talking about uh, mockers who will come in the last days and will mock uh, because Jesus has not yet returned. Verse 4, they're asking, where is the promise of his coming? It's been a long time. Uh, and so, verse 5, Peter says this, When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And your Bible might say, instead of escaping their notice, it says that they willfully forget they willfully forget. The ESV says they deliberately overlook the fact, or they deliberately forget what God said so many years ago. And that's the idea here that, that Solomon is speaking to, that I think James speaks to also in the New Testament book of James, that this is a, a willful kind of ignorance. Again, it's not a matter of, you know, whoops, something slipped my mind, but it's a matter of refusing. It's a matter of refusing to retain, 
divine instruction and godly, godly wisdom, having a selective memory, if you will. And the fact is that we, re- we remember things that are important to us, right? You know, for example, the son who often forgets to do his homework will never forget about his soccer game or he'll never forget to play video games or something like this, you know, because he enjoys those things. They're, they're fun, right? They're important. We make time for the things that are important to us. And when we look into the book of Proverbs and, and really all of Scripture, but specifically the book of Proverbs as we're studying in this series, you know, there's a repeated emphasis on valuing or treasuring the Father's wisdom, right? Treasure my commands, uh, treasure them in your heart, value them. And the point is, is that the, we're to make this important, right? We're to discipline ourselves, in, in other words. God's wisdom is not merely to be remembered intellectually, but it's to be uh, faithfully kept. It's to be internalized and stored in our hearts and written on our hearts, right? Let my commandments uh, be on your heart and incline your heart to understanding, chapter 2 and verse 2. And that's the idea. And you, we can see another example of this in Scripture if we just look in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Turn with me for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 8, and you'll, you'll find the same thing being said, the same admonition, kind of admonition being said. This is Deuteronomy 8 and verse 11. Moses says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise... When you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and your herds and flocks multiply, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so the association again is there in verse 11. We're deliberate, we're forgetful hearers, and we're not doers of, of the word, right? Don't forget the Lord by what? By not keeping his commands, by being diso- disobedient. And that's what Solomon is is speaking to here and many other passages as well. But if we are faithful doers and we keep the commandments of God in in our heart and we're we're exercising his wisdom and using it and living godly in, in this world, the result, Solomon says, will be length of days, years of life, and peace added to you, he says there at the end of, of verse 2. And Solomon uh, is not promising too much here. Uh, so we have to remember the, the genre of Scripture that, that we're reading. You know, the wise uh, do not always enjoy material wealth and, and long life. You know, we might think, well, some Christians die young, and that's true, maybe because of illness like cancer or a car accident or something else. And still others, you know, they may lose their jobs or endure endure poverty. But we have to remember again that that the book of Proverbs is a, is a book of probabilities that are describing the way that life generally works in God's world. So while those who follow God's commands, again, are generally they're going to enjoy a long life and prosperity in things we talked about last week and how using God's wisdom and abiding in His Word in this world generally and typically leads to a successful life, a prosperous life, and will be kept free from uh, danger and harm and wicked people and who want to take advantage of this. But it's not an absolute promise. It's not an absolute promise to every individual, especially in the short term, right? Because there are uh, exceptions. And the other books of wisdom literature within the Scripture, like Job 
and Ecclesiastes, they deal with the exceptions and, and not the general rule, right? Job was a righteous man, and yet he suffered uh, greatly. And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes also notices that the race is not always uh, to the swift, and time and chance happen to us all, and things like this. And so, again, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it's it's not a book of, of promises, absolute promises to individuals, but it's a book of probabilities. And we have to keep that in mind as as we're reading it because of the the exceptions. Uh, however, I will say, uh, it, even though it, in the short term, length of days and years of life uh, may gen- generally do come to those who practice God's wisdom, but maybe not. There are, are there are exceptions. However, in the in the long term, in the long term, these words, length of days, years of of life, they prefigure. The promise of eternal salvation. So they they prefigure they prefigure something that is absolute. They prefigure something that is certain. That is a promise, and that is the salvation that is to be found in Jesus Christ, whom Paul says in First Corinthians one and verse twenty four is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so as we look to Jesus Christ for wisdom and we look into his gospel and we see as Paul told Timothy that that the scriptures can make us wise can make us wise to salvation and we obey them and we we come to Jesus we do find the certainty and the promise of eternal salvation in, in Jesus Christ uh, if we are willing to uh, submit to his gospel right subordinate ourselves to his gospel and that's that's the very next thing that the proverb writer actually gets gets into, right? He's not talking about um, obeying the gospel specifically in the context, right? Because Jesus hadn't come at this point. But nevertheless, this is the principle that carries over into the gospel that we have to subordinate ourselves to God, and we have to subordinate our understanding to the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Jesus taught that. One must love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And sadly, there are so many people that try to maintain a, a divided loyalty to God and, and the world. They're straddling the fence, even though Jesus said that that's impossible, right? You can't serve two masters, he says in Matthew chapter 6, if memory serves, in verse 24. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and specifically, he says in that context, you can't serve God and money. You're going to love one and, and, and hate the other. So Solomon makes the same point here. We have to trust God. And we have to trust God with all, all of our hearts. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So God demands and has always demanded this undivided commitment this absolute devotion and dedication to him, we, we will be tempted to trust the wisdom of the world rather than re- rely upon his truth, rather than rely upon divine revelation. But we have to trust God completely, and we have to trust him uh, wholly and, and, and not lean on our own understanding, because relying on one's own understanding and trusting in our own hearts is, is foolish. And the Proverbs writer Solomon will say that elsewhere in Proverbs 28 and verse 26, that the fool... The fool trusts in his own heart, but the wise orders his way uh, according to, to wisdom, according to God's wisdom. And that's my, my paraphrase, but essentially that, that's the point that he's making. We can't take the world's wisdom of just follow your, your own heart or always let your conscience be your guide. 
which is a study we could launch into would be a study in and of itself of the, the importance of the conscience. But even our own conscience is not the final authority. And many people make crucial life decisions about who they marry or their finances or their career or make crucial decisions in life not based upon God's wisdom and, and his revealed word, but their their feelings. And Proverbs tells us that our feelings are are unreliable. They're unreliable. Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so I may have all these kind I may have all kinds of inclinations and ideas about what I think is is right and would be even pleasing to God, but if I can't find it in his Bible, then what must I do? What conclusion must I come to? Well, then it's it's not of God. It's not part of his his wisdom. So, for example, a husband a husband may feel that he would be happier if he left his wife, and a mother may not feel like using the rod of discipline on her her children, but in the end they're they're compromising biblical principles and acting without divine authority. Because maybe, you know, maybe it's true. Maybe the husband would be happier. But ultimately, is that's self-will. That's self-idolatry. And we have to choose God's way and trust in his way is the best way because it is his way. You know, many local churches, in an attempt to swell their numbers and, and want to get people in, in, in the door, may feel that worldly methodologies and, and models are more effective and maybe they are. Maybe they are getting people in the door and swelling a, a local church's uh, numbers in the sense that they can put a whole lot of names on their directory. Uh, but that's not biblical growth. That's not genuine growth. Because in, in that case, again, they're compromising biblical principles and acting without divine authority. And that's going to lead, that's going to lead down the path to death. And it's going to create something other than what we find authorized in, in the Scripture. It won't be a local church that is authorized by God. It'll be some other organization that's founded on different principles, that has different values. So the point remains that those who are wise do not lean on their own understanding, but trust that God's way is the best way because it is, is His way. And the one who chooses his own way by his actions is, is arrogantly claiming that he knows he knows better than God. And we have to remember that the major thesis of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And all too, all too often we want to turn to uh, the Internet or we want to Google a passage or we want to uh, you know, seek some other source of knowledge, uh, which man is the author, but ultimately... And most importantly, humbling ourselves before God and fearing Him and revering Him is, is the beginning of knowledge. He is the source of wisdom, right? Proverbs 2 and verse 6. The Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, biblically, the wise person, the wise man, or the, the wise woman, they're going to govern themselves by what the Lord declares. And they're not going to be entrenched in their own finite and, and often mistaken understanding. And, and they're not going to pit that their own understanding and understanding against his. Right? They're going to choose God's 
will and God's understanding over theirs every single time. Even if we don't completely under, understand God's way or we can't perceive the wisdom in that, we have to trust that it, it is the best way. And God blesses those who trust him. Right? Solomon says, he will make your paths straight. That's the promise of that couplet there in verses 5 and 6, right? The call to wisdom, verse 5, and then the consequences. He will make your paths straight. And what that means is, is he's talking about the moral quality of, of life, right? The same way that Jesus did when Jesus used the words narrow and small to describe the path and the gate that lead to life, right? Broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way or straight is the way and small is the gate that leads to life and there are few who find it. And so the writer of Proverbs is saying that God will straighten our paths morally. And so is that the path we have we have chosen? Are we trusting in the Lord to direct our steps? Solomon goes on to call us in verse 7 to uh, again remind us not to be wise in our own eyes. And that's a call to humility, isn't it? We have to realize that you know, our reasoning and our thinking can be tainted by sin and the world, and we've been wrong so many times before. We have to be willing to own up to that. Unfortunately, and this is true even of, of folks in the church, and we could say even generally, more generally, of just religious people, that they can be wise in their own eyes. But again, the God-fearing man or woman realizes that because God is just and all-knowing and all-powerful, all no one ever benefits from going against his ways. It's the proud that have no fear of God and ultimately engage in all kinds of, of wickedness because they think they can fight God and win. But you and I and everyone has to make the choice to be conscious of God and his ways and seek his ways and exercise his wisdom. And Solomon says it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 to talk about honoring honoring the Lord from our wealth. You know, for a, a lot of people, that's a great test. I might even say for, for all people, it's a test of love and, and faith in God uh, as to how we spend our money, right? If we give to the Lord's work, uh, not because he needs our help, but because it's it's an act of worship because it's a way to honor him and to show that we uh, love him and love his cause and love his gospel and his truth. And we want to use our means and resources, financial and otherwise, to advance his, his cause. And so Solomon says, give to the Lord the first of all your produce or the first, your first fruits. So this is to be a top priority, Right. In, in modern terms, it means to uh, pay God in a sense, uh, worship him with your means as soon as you receive your, uh, your payment, your, your produce, rather than waiting to see what is left over. We have to give in proportion to how God has prospered us is the New Testament terminology in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. And so we, that's part of, of living wisely and honoring God, honoring God with our means. And finally, Solomon says, 
we have to embrace God's discipline. Verses 11 to 12, those are the last verses of this third speech here. But Solomon says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. The path of life is not always smooth and easy for God's people. And if anything, we see in the scriptures that persecution will come, uh, tribulation will come. Uh, Through much tribulation, Paul says that we must enter the kingdom of God. Um, But this is a disciplinary action. It's it's a time of, of growth. Why does God discipline us? And the word discipline in this case means in instruction or training in instruction, right? A, a chastening. You know, why does he do that? It's it's in order to be more holy. If we look in Hebrews chapter eleven, he's he's training us for maturity. He's he's wanting us to grow into a certain kind of of people. And the way that we go about that is through hardship and through suffering, through a discipline. It's not a, a punitive kind of thing. It's not that we're being punished, but it's it's training. Right, In the same way Solomon says a father disciplines or reproves the son in whom he delights. We understand that not all instruction or training that we give to our children is because we're punishing them. It's, it's because we're trying to guide them and we want to see them grow and be enriched and become a certain kind of, of person who is successful in, in the world. And so in spiritual terms, that's what God is, is doing for us if we submit to it, right? If we don't rebel against it and try to buck his reproval and his discipline. We need to embrace it. The Hebrew writer says that Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Hebrews 5 and verse 8. So hardship, and, and in particular Jesus' hardship, proves that not all suffering is, is due to, to personal sin. Right? We shouldn't think that just because we're having a difficult time or difficult circumstance in our lives that we've done something wrong or that God is is angry or that pain means that we're somehow out of God's favor. No, again, it's, it's instructive. It's, it's meant to prove us. It's meant to prove us as sons, and, and it's meant to prove our, our loyalty and, and, and help us to grow. And that's the perspective that we have to, to adopt. It's, it's an, and it's not pleasant, right? And the, and the Bible doesn't mince any words about that. Hebrews 12 and verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so what is God teaching us? Are we trying to rebel against his discipline? Certainly we can find correction in, in, in his word and and many things that we see in the word that, that expose us will, will be hard to accept. And many people will be, a, we can be offended by it or we can, again, subordinate our understanding to his, even if it may be difficult or it, it might even bring about difficult circumstances. We may have to change jobs or we may find ourselves uh, in a marriage that God doesn't approve of if we have no right to be married. And that will bring about difficult times if we're going to submit to his, his will. But in the end, remember the, the promise of Hebrews 12, it, in the end, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Those whom the Lord reproves are the ones that he loves. And perhaps you're listening this morning and you know that you have not chosen the correct path. You have not trusted in the Lord to direct your steps. You haven't subordinated your understanding to his in humility and reverence. Well, the, the good news is, is that that can change. That can change. We don't have to be forgetful hearers. 
we can choose to live wisely in this world. We can choose to remember, remember and treasure the word of God. Then we can fix it. And he promises to come to our aid. Draw near to God, James says, and he will draw near to you. Is that what you need to do? You believe that Jesus is the Son of God, as he said in John 8, 24, among other places. Are you willing to repent of your sins and, and choose the right path so that you can ultimately find the, the straight and narrow way and, and the small gate that leads to life? Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, as the Bible calls us to in Acts 2.38 and 1 Peter 3.21? Well, maybe we can help you with that. All things are ready. If you want to contact us, feel free to do so. You can visit our website to do that. You can email us. You can call us. Our phone number is on our website at leonvalleychurch.org. Our email address is leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I hope that you continue to study these things. I'm going to continue to study these things. And I appreciate you joining me this morning. And I hope you will next week as well as we continue our series and look at the next poem of Lady Wisdom here in Proverbs chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.